What's good, people? Jason Debellius. This is episode 89. Got my drink with me. This is the Option Podcast. You ask and you shall receive a toast. <laughs> Hold on, got to get my song in. I've got to give the people, give the people what they want. Tom Sorensen. What's good, my man? All is good these days, you know, not, not too bad. 89 is a perfect one. That's the year I graduated high school, you know, so that's the episode I should be on. Oh, no doubt. Oh, isn't that great? Isn't that great? So, um, I mean, remember when remember when the song 1999 came out by Prince and it seemed like so long from now? Yes. Oh, good grief, man. I mean, <laughs> it was weird because when 19... Flying cars and shit. Yeah, <laughs> listen, when 1999 actually came, I'm like... Yeah. I was dreaming when I wrote this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. do I get to do? Do I still do this? We have it. Look, this is kind of predominantly a volleyball podcast, but I I have this feeling you and me are going to go a bunch of other places. And before we got in the podcast, we had this conversation about you kind of got in this kick. Like, all right, I just gained a bunch of weight, right? Um, I, I'm not happy with this. I want to find a way to lose it. And you, I think you dropped cumulatively 50 pounds, right? The last 12 months. Yeah. I'm down 50 pounds since uh, not 12 months. It's actually like less than three months. Good. good I, turned, I turned 50 on April 6th. Okay. So probably like five weeks before then I was just kind of sitting on my couch. I was eating like a Reuben sandwich that I, you know, I, I put mayonnaise on and did like the full on grilled cheese style, like really good grilled. Like it was delicious. Don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. No. Cool. So I just kind of sitting there, just like, uh, and I just kind of looked at myself. It's like, I got to make some changes, you know. It's like this is just going, this is going the wrong direction right now. And, and during quarantine, I had some free time, so I just kind of made the, the decision then to. I didn't go like hard, like big time. Like I lifted six days a week. I have the Bowflex, like the the dial of yep. dumbbells in my house. So I just lifted those every day. You know, I just I just do old style leg day, arm day, leg day, upper body, like you know, it's like. And then I, I walked like two hours a day. I listen to podcasts and stuff a lot. So I got to find some of these old podcasts now and listen to these, you know. No, these, no doubt. I need some material. For me, it's... So I, walked, I walked at least two hours a day. Mm. You know, usually in two segments, like one in the morning, one in the evening. And I lifted six days a week. And then once I started doing that, I'm like, well, I'm doing all this. I should probably change the way I eat too. So then I went to... I eat a spinach salad almost every day with, with chicken or sometimes I'll put a burger on it, you know, and I just cut out the carbs and bread and rice and pasta. And it's like, yeah. And we talked about this earlier, like once you start doing that, all of a sudden you become almost overly obsessed with it. You're like, you're looking at every single thing, weighing yourself almost every day. And it's like, all right, slow down. It's like, no, nah, no doubt. Do you go your way? You're do in you? the right direction. Like don't become obsessed with it. You know, um, how many times a day do you eat? Uh, I usually have a banana in the morning. That's my breakfast. I'll wake up. I actually, I put a banana next to my bed every morning and I'll wake up and I'll eat my banana and then I'll have a lunch and a dinner. And then I'll have like, I change my, my snacks from like chips and stuff like that. to have like a bunch of pistachios or almonds, or I have a whole lot of, a whole lot of nuts and stuff in the days. That's my midday snack, but I'll just usually grab like a handful of pistachios, put it on the table and then have that at like three o'clock or something. Actually, let's. Let's go live on this. See if someone has questions as we're talking. I'm just gonna go live for, for as a as a ten minute teaser. Um, so yes, listen, spinach is important, man, because there's not a better way to get iron in your life like the cold spinach. Yeah. You can take iron oh, supplements, which you can take Maybe iron we supplements, like which kind of like, like 
Yeah, and it doesn't mess with your like poop. I know this is like TMI yeah. for like a podcast. I mean, getting your iron that way instead of taking the iron tablets is is a big thing. And 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 I only brought it up because I can relate. Like I, you know, when I got out of the military, I I kind of blew up somewhere around two thousand, and I was still playing indoor. And you know, you got to jettison some weight because indoor is so unforgiving on your joints. So oh yeah, so. I was eating twice a day back then, and I started eating five times a day, like I did when I was in the army, and um, and everything I did, I didn't, I didn't lift, even though lifting would have gave me faster results. I did just military yeah. stuff. I did stairs. I did like different kinds of push-ups, body manipulation, and ended up losing like sixty-five pounds. So I just, yeah. you know, this. I mean, this podcast is about us, not about me per se. But when you see two, someone that loses fifty pounds, right? Someone that loses sixty-five pounds, the audience listening, you know, who's trying to lose a little bit, a little bit of weight, they're like, "What are these guys doing?" And, and yeah. well, this might be the most single most important thing we talk yeah. about. <laughs> Once you get to the point where you start to see results, it gets so much easier to keep doing it. You know, if you do it for a while and you feel like you're just treading water, I think then you you lose a little bit of faith. You know, but once mm-hmm. you start to see it, mm-hmm. it's really really easy to keep going. You know, and also for me, like a bit. Probably my number one vice, and that's not a horrible vice at all, is like soda. Like I could drink four or five Cokes in a day easy without thinking about it. No, no doubt. And that's the thing I cut out completely to where, in fact, I would have maybe a can of Coke a day where I would just take it out of the fridge, take one sip of it, and then put it back in the fridge. Oh, no Because I just want a little bit of caffeine. That's all I want. You know, it's like. Yeah, I mean, for me, the big kick was Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Once I got, uh, once I'm, I'm clean, like. 2013 i think i'm clean eight years i feel like i should go over to one of those meetings and shit. yeah well yeah it's like i'm not i i mean i like sweets a bit but i don't have the biggest sweet tooth i'm more of a chip salsa like that kind of flavor spicy stuff to me no nah, cool. cheese i love cheese you know i'm a wisconsin kid you know nah jesus that... but like that's funny like my girlfriend's friends they always like bring us like cookies and you know, anything sweet to us. My girlfriend and I, we're not big sweet people. We, mm. we like them okay, but we're not the kind of people that just eat it constantly. But we're like, why do people always bring us sweet stuff all the time? It's like, we're not, I'd rather you bring me like a, a jar of salsa than bring me, Dude, you know, like. Yeah, or, guac, yeah. something. I, I mean, yeah, I went from sweets to like guac. When I moved from New York to California, I'm like, I'm now all of a sudden I'm a salsa and guac guy. <laughs> you know, yeah, that kind of oh, that sure. kind of changed up a little bit. You went to um, thing too, like I started losing weight in uh, March, early early March, maybe maybe late February. Mm-hmm. But then it's like I got to a point and I was kind of like, because people always, people ask me to play at men's nationals for a long time at USVBAs. Yeah. But I was always like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be in shape. I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to go there and just embarrass myself and be, you know, a sloppy piece of crap. You know, like just for my own ego. No, of course. Then I dropped like 30, 35 pounds. I was like, maybe I'll do this. You know, it's coming up. This, and I was like, so mm. now I'm going to play this this year in Louisville this weekend. For the, oh, that's the first is. time I've really played in like 15 years. So like, yeah. I've never even, I did an open gym on last Sunday. And there were some good things and some bad things that happened. What about as well as probably could be expected, seeing as I haven't played in like 15 years? There was a couple of moments where, okay, I'm okay, I'm all right, I'm not bad. And there were a couple of moments like, that was embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, now, did everybody see that? Of course they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, but Hopefully I, no one is recording that. I don't want that on, you know, I don't want that on the record. <laughs> no, but listen, I talk to a lot of elite athletes um, from every sport, but keeping it about volleyball, like I, I talked to John Mayer, 
right? Also a yeah. Pepperdine guy. By the way, yep. we're, I'm gonna yeah. we're gonna talk about how Pepperdine is the cool kids school, man. Like every yeah, every like nice person I ever met, like in volleyball, happened happened to go there, right? Stuart Leak, uh, Stork, you you, um, uh, Dane Blanton, super nice guy. John Mayer, yeah. uh, not a mean bone in his body. Sean Rooney. Oh, right? Sean Rooney. Nicest yeah, we can. I mean, and I just went yeah. to three decades. And just name, I just yeah. named like five to five, five or six players from two, yeah. three decades. That's that's just amazing. George Romain, awesome dude. Yeah. Yeah, man. Kelly Kelly Kalinsky now. Um, yeah. You know, married to Bill, a Wisconsin guy. Um, you went to Racine High School. Is that where you went? Racine Case, yeah. Racine Case. Yeah. Cool. So I'm trying to do some chronology and not jump all over the place because I'm, I'm my podcast is about being all over the place, but I think that's what gives it its its love. Um, this is a question I ask every volleyball player. And before we get too far into this, I don't want to forget, otherwise it'd be podcast malpractice. <laughs> was there a particular tournament or, or a match where you left the tournament or the match and you told yourself, I'm good at this. I think I could do this. I, I could do this shit on a reel. I could do this for a living. This is, uh, this is, this is, this is real. Do you understand my question? Was there yeah, a particular sure. there was, um, uh, moment in a tournament or the there tournament was itself? Or? I played or anything like that. There was a time I went to uh, my teammate's house, uh, and he had a videotape of uh, Pepperdine versus USC in the 85 championship game. Yeah. This was probably like an 87. I think it was 87 at this time. Probably, And it was yeah. when Stiverlick was in the finals against, like, Adam Johnson and those guys, and yep. uh, Pepperdine won. Yeah, they Free ran a 6-2, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Steve Friedman was the MVP, like Mike mm-hmm. Fitzgerald, all those guys. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I just I watched it. And it was the first time I ever really saw. I mean, I saw. I thought our, our high school seniors was high high level volleyball. Like the, those to me, those guys were gods. You know, like those when I was a freshman, those guys were seniors. I thought those guys were the greatest players I'd ever seen. At that time, they probably were the greatest players I'd ever seen. But I remember he showed me. We put this videotape, and it was old school. Like, I mean, static and whatever. I mean, tracking, blah blah blah. You know, I was like. And I, I just remember watching it and being like, I want to do that. Yeah. That's what yeah. I want to do. I remember watching it for the first time, like being like, that's awesome. That is exactly what I want to do. Is Was there a moment, was there a tournament that you played where you're like, um, I belong with those guys? Or or, or was that just one of those things that, that made you pursue um, your um, pursuit to greatness? Well, I remember... Uh, after my junior year, we went to USVBAs in, Col- in uh, not Colorado Springs, Fort Collins, Colorado. I played with Evanston Volleyball Club with a bunch of right. really good players, right. too. And we were we were kind of the first, maybe not the first, but we were, the, we were probably, at that time, we were the good, quote-unquote, back east team, you know, because we were from the Midwest. But yeah. you know, anything east of Vegas to California people is back east. Not for sure. So we were the good back east team. We, we yeah. played a match against... Uh, it was against Torrance, and they were probably the best club at the time. Like Brett Schroeder was on the team, a bunch of really good players were on there, and we beat them in three in pool play. And it was like the biggest match of the tournament. Like it was at nighttime, like people were around our court, everyone was watching this match, and it was a huge crowd. I got to be like second team All American at that tournament, and we so, and I, I thought I was pretty good then. But then I went to after that, I went to Ken Preston's top of your class camp. At UC Santa Barbara. At Santa Barbara, yeah. Yeah, and it was a great camp. I mean, most coaches were there. Like, almost all the best players in the, in the country were there. And I went there, and I played really, really well. You know, for lack of a better term, I dominated. 
uh, Ken Preston gave me a campus tour, offered me a full ride at that time. And that's when they, you know, started to sow my oats. Like, wow, I could really do this. You know, like. When did you? Know, when did you? Um, when was your freshman year at Pepperdine? Uh, well, '89 in the fall. The season was in 1990. Right. The season was in 1990. Yeah. That night, I can say with a heightened level of certainty, like '90 to like '94, was this awesome boom period for college men's volleyball when you think about the names and 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 i know some names don't transcend two generations but some but many of them do like ivy ivy um it was a green bomb yeah ivy greenbaum shepherd becker uh uh, brent hilliard was a freshman at that time uh, i get bummed if people forget about hilliard yeah stanford had canyon seaman your championship team for everyone listening at home this uh 1992 ncaa champs at pepperdine they had dane blanton had you had um um, oh, Greg Shankle. How's that for a name? Greg Shankle, yeah. I got, man, I got, I'll send you a video later. I played doubles with him. Um, oh, we just really? wanted to play Greg's four, guy, yeah. we just wanted to play like four sets, like three yeah. sets with each person. And then the fourth set with the, with one we got. Yeah. And the guy is still, the guy still bangs out these incredible plays on the sand. So, and, um, I was watching you guys play an old match and I was like, that's Greg, that's Greg, that's Tom. Cause I, I went there watching to watch you play. And in fact, here it is. Let's check this out oh that's a yeah yeah so this is um i was looking for highlights of you but greg uh greg's a start on that team that's you taking your own one it's freaking awesome oh, setter the cool. setter you see that the setter <laughs> drew the block the setter drew the middle on that instead of the outside block yeah. it was pretty awesome i maybe there's a replay on that yeah let's that was chip. watch yeah. this he drew the middle on that <laughs> once you draw the middle and not the outside <laughs> block man you're screwed <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, we lost that match, though. That was senior night. Yeah. We lost to Stanford, but, you know. Revenge match. We beat them match. in that championship game the year before. I so. was going to say, that don't count. That's that They yeah. just try to avenge their match and fine. You're like, fine, yeah. real avenge, but this ring right here, yeah. <laughs> some things you can't take away. Oh, man. Um, all right, what's the um, difference between Malaysian food and Thai? <laughs> what the hell kind of question is that? <laughs> So you have Malaysian food, food a few. Food. I guess you have Malaysian food a food a few. I had Malaysian food last night for the first time. We were looking for a restaurant. We found Malaysian. I was like, let's try Malaysian food. It was, you know, okay. It was lots of rice, so I tried to avoid it because you know I'm not doing the carb thing. So I do. I just got extra veggies, but it was really, really good. Like, good spiciness to it, and we're definitely going to go back again. It's called Sarai here in Chicago. S E R A I. It was good. That's so cool, yeah. man. So yeah, Pepperdine, three-time All-American NCAA chip at um in '92. Um, and it was a boom period. You were talking about like there's West Coast. Well, superior- at the time of the West Coast superiority. The right were really the dominant. Like, yeah. guys were averaging seven, seven, eight kills a game. You know, yeah. it's like. It was, Listen, like, I played. I laugh all the time when people tell me like, "Oh, I'm so tired. I got like 40 sets last night." Like, yeah, that's nothing. I used to get 100 in some matches. You know. Like- Listen, I have a guy. I I was at a Hunter College for a cup of coffee. This is 1994. Yeah. Before I played overseas, I played in Germany. Um, there was a guy on my team. Um, Greg Romulus, Haitian player, and you might know him because the I know the, the name for sure. Well, the East Coast team back then was Creole. You go to NJIT. Go that's to Rudy. That's that's Rudy, Rudy's okay. a middle. He's one of the best block okay. middle blockers ever come out of NJIT. But Rudy's from a whole family, uh, like three brothers, three sisters, and all of them are savages. Yeah. Um, and Greg 
was 60. Oh, I remember it because yeah. back in Volleyball Monthly, you look and see all the stat leaders and he was yes. always like number one for like kills per game. It was always some ridiculous number. I'm like, he was 61 for 98. Game? He was 61 yeah. for 98, which is still a record because no one got yeah. to 61. McKenzie came close. Yeah. Uh, um, 61 for 98, five errors. I was, yeah. I was on that team and my mother told me the weirdest fucking thing. She said, you're going to church. You're not going to your volleyball game. I'm like, I mean, NCAA game because because Division three back then, we, Division three there were no really no CUNY teams. We had to play Rutgers. Yeah. We had to play Princeton, who was a who was a pretty good school. We had to you know IPFW whatever, and and I'm like, I gotta go to church. So Greg, I mean, all of our offensive players, it was just Greg and the setter. So and yeah. the reason why I'm bringing this up is because. East Coast wise, like adult nationals, you'll see Elvis and Greg and Tony yeah. Bonilla, Carlito, whatever. And then Paul Mitchell had a good team back then. Um, you know, Toyota, whatever. And this, and I, I remember Team Cup volleyball. Something else. Oh, that I was think that I LA Athletic Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. Did, did you? Were you part of Team Cup? For I never did Team Cup. No, I was. I was like literally like a year too late for Team Cup. Like guys who are a year ahead of me got to play in Team Cup. Uh, for everybody listening, uh, what the hell is this guy talking about? And why won't I let Tom talk? Team Team Cup volleyball is basically all of the beach players get together and indoor players. They get together and they play sixes. And they, their sponsors have With four no tournaments. Rules almost, yeah, like, and the ten foot line is the fifteen foot line, and yeah, one person from the back and, row. Yeah, Right, and, and one like person from the back row, yeah. yeah, one person yeah. from the back row is allowed to come up and block. Yeah, so, so it looked like it looked like Chinese nine men, except there were six people and everyone was yeah. really big. <laughs> you ever seen Chinese well, I mean, back nine in men? The day, that was like the one volleyball that, yeah, that was always on. You could watch that on TV mm -hmm. because Jeannie Bus was and Steve Timmons were dating at that time, so she would sponsor it and they'd put it on Prime Ticket. You know, like. There's very rarely volleyball on TV at that time. No, there there really wasn't. Um, yeah. In fact, they put the rematch against Japan from '92 on at, at Madison Square Garden. That was, I'm telling you, it was a boom period for indoor volleyball. But I, and it had everything to do with the college kids. And in '92, in fact, when USA played Italy, they put all the college kids in that game. The rest Timmons and the rest this guy, and they ended up beating the best team in the world with. Greenbaum, Ivy, Hilliard, and and um and Nick Becker, you know, like the fourth set, they were arresting Timmons for like set five. Yeah. Because back then, again, for people listening, side out, you could play, huh. you can play what? I mean, give me an example of a long match you played just because you had to be I mean, serving. Your match could be forty-five minutes, and they could be three hours. You yeah. know, like <laughs> I was talking about, like mm -hmm. doing tournaments back in the day, like club tournaments, like. You used to change courts all the time because some matches would go long. Some would go, okay, you're actually on court seven now at eight o'clock because your courts are going long or whatever. And it's like, when did you, you know, um, like, when did you join the national team? Uh, I played a little bit in the summer of '91, right? Uh, between my sophomore and junior year. Okay. And then I joined them for good in '93 after I after I finished college. Right. When when and the worlds are usually like two years before the Olympics, right? So that had to be '94. World Championship for 94, yeah. 94, and I think you got bronze or silver or something like that. We got the bronze there, which we lost uh, the semifinals in five sets to Netherlands. Yeah. yeah. A Holland really, really a tight team. match. It could have really gone either way. So we could have easily been in the gold medal match, but it was... Good team, man. I tell people all the time that that bronze medal felt like a gold because mm. we'd just come off being 0-12 in the World League right before that. Yeah, you man. Know? Hey. So it was like... Good team, man. I was um I was actually at the the Olympics in Spain to watch USA play Japan. Oh yeah, um, yeah. that match where Ivy got hurt. 
I think he was like wiping the floor. Remember, maybe you guys used to have like these rags or whatever, and you have to wipe yep, the floor yep, yourself. Like and he just fell and over. It's just he's wiping the floor. Incident, you know, when they, Did you see the, how bizarre they, that was? That was crazy. He just wiping yeah. the floor, dude. And, and then Samuelson came in, and then and then that's where the controversy started, right? He got like two yellows. Was supposed to get a red, but they never penalized him for the yeah. red. Match point. But the ref realized this is stupid. No one should win a, win a game on a. On a <laughs> On a meaningless yellow card. It's like, yeah. I just hated that they let the match continue, and then the you know, yeah. the USA came back and won. You know, um, educating. And then they took it away afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, educating our audience. The USA was down fourteen. Uh, oh, it was thirteen, thirteen. Nagagaichi got a kill. I think a line judge called in, um, out, and the ref called in, and then Bob Samuelson lost his esh. The ref yeah. gave him another yellow card, but I think they forgot or something. Two yellows was a red, yeah. but they never penalized him. USA comes back, wins that fourth set. They win the fifth set. Simmons has 50 kills. Nagagaichi has 51. And then a day later, like you said, the Olympic Committee voted 18 to zero. Um, yeah. Uh, and gave the the victory to Japan, which, which they should have done. I just wish they didn't. They didn't have the carnival of watching the USA come back and win the fourth and fifth set. That just broke yeah, my heart. Yeah. So. Yeah. And they all shaved their heads, right, to show their support for Bob Samuelson. Uh, T Steve Timmons watching watching him get the chop right yeah. up the middle. <laughs> if you're on that team, you're like, man, you're not shaving my head. Well, I mean, that, I mean, that got the USA team some airtime, you know. It's like whatever it takes, yeah. you know. And they got to the I bronze. Still, like, to me, mm -hmm. the, the one thing I can't believe is that, that the team in Beijing didn't get more love than they did. That won the gold medal. That was i mean literally very, like the very, coach's very wife's father was murdered yes in china mm -hmm. they wind up winning the gold and they're just kind of like oh yeah and they won the gold like like how is this not a huge story how like, is they come there someone yeah. in her in their group was murdered the coach the head coach hugh mccutcheon yeah yeah hugh mccutcheon is like how is this not one of the biggest stories in the Olympics right now? It just blows me away. To like, like mm. Carrie Strug spraining her ankle is like the biggest deal in the entire world in the 96 Olympics. But this person actually being murdered in this one, this team winning the gold medal is not a big deal at all. Like, that should have been it. Uh, look, um, in and outside of the volleyball spectrum, that should have been the biggest story of the Olympics. Absolutely. In, inside and outside of the volleyball spectrum, that should have been the biggest story yeah. in the Olympics. Um, First of all, that game was not won by talent. That game was won by coaching. That game was won by yeah. trusting in a system. I'm, I'm, there's no yeah. fucking way, pound for pound. When you look at the tail of the tape, they should have really lost to Serbia Montenegro. But that game, Riley Salmon came up and started just power dinking. <laughs> His six yeah. foot one behind started power dinking line. Um, they should have lost to Russia in five. But then David Lee took over with a couple of one balls and two blocks on their oppo uh, to finish. Yeah. They really probably should have lost to Brazil, but Clay Stanley, man, you know, he was like, look, I'm an opposite. If I get blocked, I get blocked. And if I don't, yeah. if I, um, but I'm going to get some kills because that is the life of a gangster. And and yeah. great swan song for Lloyd Ball, right, who you play with in 96. Um, for sure. Uh, so there were so many great stories that uh, that that the murder of the coach's father should have brought everything to the to the front it was just yeah, uh, like, I'm, that's i'm glad you brought that up too because that's something even i forgot about because they don't talk like, about it you know so like this is like the stuff that like most media places dream about you know it's like script writers they, too they talked about it at the beginning but at the end they didn't really bring it up hardly at all i'm just like no but script but but tom script writers too Right? Yeah, like, exactly. look, if, if I gave you a script and said, this is what I want in the script, you know what you would tell me? I'm throwing this out because this isn't real. 
This isn't real. No coach is going to continue to coach if his father gets murdered. He's he's yeah. leaving. He's out of there. The assistant coaches take over. Jason, I don't want this script because this isn't real. Except this yeah. was real. <laughs> this is real. This is what people should have been writing about. This is what people should have been making stories about. And whoever's doing yeah. a documentary out there, man, just rip up your script and start with the the 2018 man. You um. Well, it's funny now, like about. It's funny, like watching the Olympics back in the day was great when it was only on one network because it basically forced you to watch everything, which was a good thing. I did enjoy watching everything. Yeah. But now because I have, you know, you can watch it online. Like I don't watch anything anymore except for volleyball. There's always good volleyball, on, whether it's women's indoor, men's indoor, women's beach, men's beach. There's always a good volleyball match on for the entirety of the Olympics. There's something good to watch in volleyball. No doubt. So now I'm like, oh, I forgot there's other sports actually going on. Like I barely watch anything anymore. I think because there's an oversaturation with oversaturation um people become numb right like yeah. um if you're a mixed martial arts fan when the ufc only had like eight or ten shows and um after the ultimate fighter when they had pay-per-views everyone was watching them but if it's on every single week there might be an oversaturation uh, uh, and, oh, and sure. only the diehards are, are gonna lock in oh, people take it for granted yeah you know? it's like mm -hmm. I, I tell the story all the time and it like it blows me away like uh in 2016, I was coaching in Kansas, in Ottawa, Kansas, uh, NAI school there, men's and women's. But we were in, we were in preseason for the women in August, and the Olympics were going on. Mm -hmm. and it was just great matches all across the board. Like, Canada was awesome. USA was great. Brazil. I mean, every team in that Olympics was really, really good. France. Yeah. It was like, like, there was not a bad match to, to watch. No. And I remember coming into the gym and being like, and all the girls were warming up, getting their shoes on, stuff like that. Hey, who's watching the Olympics? Like, not one girl said they were watching the Olympics. Now, let me tell you something. Not me. I, I am the one single person. If I got to be the only person on this planet that's happy that uh, uh, games are playing at the same time and I have access to all of those games, <laughs> can, can I? Let me let me show you something. Um, let me show you something called my command center. All right, check this out. <laughs> that is oh, yeah. for, that's yeah. for my dude. Yeah. That is for my Olympics. This this is our camp. For sure. This it's is like, our, I mean, but dude, I mean, I'm looking at these girls just. I'm like, this is the game I hope that you love being played better than it's ever been played before and you're not watching it? Like, how is, like, I find it's a weird part of volleyball culture where so many volleyball players don't watch volleyball. Like, young volleyball players don't watch it. Tell me something. Talk, just, all right, now now we get legs. Talk to me. Um, where is it failing? Is it, is it a lack know. of, lack of advertisement? Like, Sorry, go ahead. Like, to me, like, I watch volleyball and I copy people. Like I wanted to do it. Like anytime I hit the D ball down the line, who am I thinking of? Timmons. Timmons, exactly. It's like I did that because I wanted to be like Steve Timmons. You know, like hitting a back one to five. I did that because I heard that was difficult. Like I, I watch people do it. I'm like, okay, I want to do that. I'm watching Eric Sato jump serve. You know, it's like yeah, game changing. People like game changing. Basketball players don't not watch LeBron play. You know, it's like or Jordan play back. It's like. You learn from you learn not as much, but almost as much by watching other people do things well, than you do just by doing it. Like I don't understand this whole thing of being like, eh, I don't watch it. You know, I, I, I. That's weird to me. Like, like I've always been a volleyball purist. Like I'm always yeah. a, a bigger fan of the sport than following particular players. But like you just said, I have my favorites, dude. This is not, my hair is not straight. I cannot spike this hair. I wanted to look like Steve Timmons oh, when I grew up. Sure. This is a, this is a Jufro yeah. under this thing, okay? Yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah, uh, and I'm mind you, I'm I'm in Brooklyn, New York. It's not like I'm surrounded by this volleyball culture. I'm, I mean, yeah. the only the only talent we had was what you saw from Creo, like all, uh, all the West Indian guys who played for their respective national teams, Jamaica, Trinidad, uh, but but very well, big on Haiti, say, like, Haiti and Dominican I Republic. For, I played for Evanston. We had uh, we always played against uh, Eden and uh, Pace Bootlegger. Yep. Those are the two, two big teams to play against for being back east, you know. Mm-hmm. No, nah, that was they were that was a real deal, man. So yeah, like Chris Chase came out of Eden, right? A lot, a lot of good players came out of Pace. Like yeah, yeah, man. Um, so Norsecas, I remember you you won that too. Was that ninety? That was ninety three, probably. There's a bunch of Norsecas that all yeah. kind of blend together. You're right. So silver, we, silver at Pan Am Games, bronze at the Worlds. Um, chronologically, let's go to the Olympic Games now. Okay. You win the first two matches. You guys beat Argentina in yeah. a very tough match, and um, and you you blew by someone else three zero. So I'm, I'm I take I bring your attention to Cuba. This is match three. You yeah. guys went a laugher the first set fifteen four. Um, their coach puts in all of their their I guess their I, I call them misfits because the idea um, the setter I forgot who hits with both hands Freddie Brooks Bongo and all those guys Freddie just Brooks, yeah. yeah just these um dynamic players and somewhere in the middle of the third set in the fourth and the fifth did you feel a, a change in momentum uh, uh, um in in that that third match that kind of messed with you guys going to the fourth and the fifth one. The only the one play I really really remember was a play late in the fifth set, where Stavrlik. Tell me it was Stavrlik. Oh my God! He hit it like cross court, and it went that way and came back this way. Clearly a touch. It, it hit the tape, but it also clear. I mean, it went it yes. that way to this way. Physics. It's hard to do off the net. Physics. And the line <laughs> judges called touch. And the up rep overruled and said no touch. It went up there, and I was like, I, if it wasn't match point, it was to put us up by two or three points in a big situation in rally scoring in the fifth set. So it was like that I, was a huge, huge call that that really screwed us. That was how clearly the hell, how the hell do the I remember that? It was not touched. How the hell do I remember that? But I, I agree with you in a sense that it. Look, everybody can relate. Uh, for what what this man is saying to to our audience right now is Stavertly hits the ball cross court on a tweener between the outside and middle block. Hits yeah. it looks like it hits the top of the tape, but it also looks like it hits the middle blocker's right hand. The deflection goes wide out of bounds, and when you hit a ball cross court, and it bounces and it bounces back the other way. Exactly. Yeah. No, like, but went, yeah. but my point is like that as that that asymmetry, right? Yeah. Physics com- uh, d- demands that that it hit that ball's that guy's yeah. hand. It, there's no way that ball hits the tape and then goes the other way and out of bounds. It, that's, yeah. It's just not. It doesn't change directions. No, yeah, like, it's just not physically yeah. possible. And I can't believe you you remember that because from that point on, it was all downhill. Oh, I mean, you can't you can't. I mean, you're in the Olympics once every four years. This is your one chance to win a big match, and you get this terrible call. Yep. And it's like, how do you not? It takes an amazing amount of mental toughness to just move on from that at that point, where it's something that's so clearly, yeah, it's like you just want to. 
get your physics teacher from high school and be like, can you explain it to him, please, that this could not happen? At, and at that level, <laughs> at that level, they can't get that wrong. And in, and yeah. the, and in a fifth set, like you said, with two evenly matched teams, like a, a, a team that you guys beat in the previous Olympics for the bronze, you beat them in four. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Tim and, and we Swan. beat them in 94 in the, in the, in the bronze medal game, too, for the, in the world championships. Yeah. Man, still and three pretty easily. Yeah. And then from there, it was Brazil after that. And that was that was kind of a barn burner. They must have been yeah. in a good mood. I don't know. If, and I don't even know if Marcelo Negrao was on that team as well. I knew he played in 92 when he was 19 he is, he years old. He had that old. bad shoulder at that time. So he might have yeah. been on the team, but he didn't play too much. Right. And Lima, that was that was a, that was a rock star team for almost a decade. That was almost like the women's Cuba team, if you yeah. remember them, man. That, that was... Yeah. Oh, God. I want to talk Maria about Luis the best team ever league. assembled, you know? I Maria mean, Luis, that middle blocker Carvajal, who was a huge... Yes. I mean, she was amazing. Torres. They were, yeah. They ran a 6-3. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen a 6-3 run. I mean, I had to go on volleyball coaches and trainers, and I'm like, has, has yeah. any? when was the last time you saw a 6-3? And they're just like, okay, dude, you're, you're a coach, but you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, there is such thing as a 6-3. They, they only did it once, but the other two, yeah. they ran a 6-2, which is why you never saw them jump set. It's just, what was the yeah. point? If everyone knows it's a 6-2. And, and with that talent, why would you need to, you know, I mean, Mar Mar Marella Luis was... Yeah. My goodness, like she's married to Yoel Espana, I think, right? Yeah. I think she you ended just, up marrying. You sit there and just watch her with her, with her jaw on the floor. It's like, wow. <laughs> She'd come back from like knee surgery and she's still jumping like 42, 43 inches. You know, it's like. No doubt. So did you play um, middle or opposite in 96? I know they had, Mike, I I know they had Lambert for a while. Yeah. They had Lambert I was, as well. I was, I, Lambert started and I came in for Lambert. Like that Brazil match, I remember. Uh, I came in for Lambert, and I and I'll never forget this because I just I just blocked the ball. I served an ace, and I just gotten a couple kills, and I was I was starting to play really well. And then all of a sudden, I hear the buzzer, and Lambert's subbing in for me. He's got my paddle, and I was just like, I just like done a whole bunch of good stuff, you know, like. And literally, I went over to get the paddle, and Lambert says to me. Sorry, man. He felt the same way. He was like, he literally apologized to me for subbing in. I was like, yeah. I was like, what? I was like, you're like, the last, like I'm going to use this. Points, I served an ace, blocked the ball, got like two kills, had no errors, and all of a sudden I'm getting subbed out. It's like, I mean, I'd use that paddle. Like, well, I feel like we just need a momentum change. I was like, man, like, I'd use that paddle and smack Fred Sturm on his hiney, man. It's <laughs> just. <laughs> Did you play um, opposite at Pepperdine as well? I know. I know. I okay. played, my freshman year, I played middle. My sophomore year, I played outside hitter. And mm -hmm. in my last two years, I played opposite. And you won the championships when, um, your junior year? My junior year in 92. Yeah. Dane said right he was, Dane says, um, was a sophomore. He had a, a lot of nice. He, came, he was on the podcast and he was just like, that was such a great team. Winner's mentality. Also, there was um, this kind of fellowship that you see more with women's teams um with men like you you as a woman's and a men's coach uh it's something you might notice like women um succeed through um camaraderie where men kind of succeed through um camaraderie through leadership like leadership and performance where where, where women it's just about it's yeah, really like, about sticking together the difference i feel through women is like when coaching women like like when we went to coach them i always tried to coach them like men like i, I wanted them to swing block i wanted them to do also like i want them to be athletes just like I want the men to be athletes. And, you know, I don't want you to belly button a target. I want you to pass outside your body line. You know, like 
do the, you know, but like whenever I coached a, a girl <clears throat> and she was maybe coming out of high school and I told her to do something that her former coach told her not to do, they almost felt like they were cheating on their first coach. <laughs> but they'd be like, my coach said I shouldn't do that. But, you yeah. know, I was like, well, I, I'm telling you, you should now. Please try it my way and see how you like it. You know, I was like, but yeah. where guys, you tell guys to swing block, they're like, oh, yeah. You know, they're yeah. more than happy to do it as aggressive and as, you know, outlandish you, um, as you want to. You've been coaching Ottawa uh, for a while, the women's and the men's team. Um, are you still with them? No, I'm uh, I'm in Chicago now. I coach at uh, Chicago Bounce Boys Volleyball Club. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. Cool. Hey, my tell girl, my, my girlfriend's a lawyer in Chicago. Yeah. Tell my guy Brian McDermott. I said, "What's up?" He he's um he's a uh, beach uh, director out there. Um, there's really? Prime, uh, Chicago Prime, and there's another another group, and I can't remember his name, but he he made national news because like during COVID, he got the Department of Health to allow them to practice in a warehouse, doubles or whatever, and this and that. Yeah. Brian McDermott, I'm actually gonna, um, sure. very important you two have a meeting of the minds. He's such an intelligent, he's such a bright yeah. human being. And and of, and of course you've been doing this longer than most people live. So so um, we're both 50, so we can, we, we're, we're allowed to say that. I, I just thought about this the other day, I was like, mm -hmm. the Olympics now is like the halfway point of my life. Mm -hmm. I was 25 at the Olympics, I'm 50 now. Mm -hmm. So it's literally half of my life has been since the Olympics, which just blows me away. It's yeah. Crazy. Well, listen, you're going to live to 100 now. You're, you're, you're mindful yeah. about what you're eating. Um, you're, yeah. going, you're going to nationals and physically, when you drop a bunch of weight, all of a sudden physically you could feel like you could kick anybody's ass. It's just it's just how you feel. You know, I felt yeah. like, dude, I felt like I could beat anyone in any sport. I felt like I was an MMA fighter when I, I dropped <laughs> all that weight. I'm like, um, so I, I guess the question is, you coach Ottawa, like, girls boy uh boy uh, sorry men and women long enough at what point was there a transition where um generation y took over um like when i grew up to play i'll give you an example when i grew up and my coach told me to do something if i asked him why he'd be like what what why <laughs> why ain't in your vocabulary motherfucker? You, you know um but then at this generation people ask why uh, because if they understand the why, they're better. And to me, I think that's their greatest strength and at the same time, their greatest weakness because sometimes they have to have blind trust. Talk to me. You, you wanted to they say something. They do have to have blind trust. To me, a lot of it, like the most annoying thing is when the kids, a lot of the kids kids today, to sound like an old man, but like they don't even let you finish your sentence before they respond to you. You know, you'd be like, hey, I want you to, to shuffle this way and try to take the ball. But, 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 but it's like, wait, wait, let me finish my sentence first. And then we can discuss it. Mm -hmm. But first, listen to what I say. I'm the coach. I've been doing this for, you know, many, many years. You're, you've been playing for a year and a half or whatever. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. before you give me your excuse or your reason why you can't do it, listen to what I say. And then we can debate it or whatever. We can not debate. We can talk about it. But it's like, I mean, so many, so many people like don't want to listen. They want to defend themselves. Yeah. I probably... <laughs> Dude, I probably have a lot more people play for my clubs, my indoor and outdoor clubs, if I was a little bit more, um, uh, a little less old school. <laughs> you know, it's just like plank. Why <laughs> plank? <laughs> That's I mean, you, you coach. We you know it is like. Yeah. You have those players that you can tell them something a hundred times and they never ever change it. Right. They either don't care, don't understand. Yeah, they don't or get don't it. Or don't think what you're saying is important. Yeah. 
Then you have those kids that you tell them once and they change it. Yeah. I, I Well, yeah, I mean, that's the path, right? Either one of us are missing the point. Either the kid is or they're unable to or the coach is missing the point on that. And, and like you said, we've been doing this long enough. Um, and I think you're humble enough to always know that you don't know everything. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, for me, indoor, I've been coaching like for 21 years. Uh, Beach, the last five years, almost exclusively. I'm John Mayer, I was with him at LMU uh, with their beach team. And, you know, if you look at Earl Schultz and Jake, I helped them get into the draw. Rafa Rodriguez, I worked with him a little bit. Kevin McCulloch, there's an an older name too. so but yeah, see, that, like, that I, was that I'm was just coaching. a curiosity question. Like if you noticed like, when I'm the coaching, whole... I always love like having other coaches on my bench from like the club because other coaches see things differently than I do. Like yeah. I'm really good at like looking at approaches and uh, arm swing and jumping mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Where other people are really looking at the setter's position, blah blah. So I love having other coaches on the bench. Yeah, dinner, dinner with the coaches. Is, I'm not looking at. You dude, know, it's like drinks with the coaches is probably my my favorite time, and and yeah. and it's weird because it's it depends on the coaches. Like I was just in Vegas with yeah. with my evolution team and uh the coaches have like these, these get-togethers and these parties and i'm like i'm not going i'm not going because you you know the coaches that are going to be there and they're going to spend all of their time talking about why their team is good and this and that these yeah. just these coaches circle jerks instead of like if there's certain coaches i know i'm like how'd you do today or what would you have done and and, and now we're talking real volleyball instead of these the, the these guys who are wearing i don't know like scvc underwear to bed or something who yeah, knows I mean, but uh, um you have, be, you have to be humble yeah it's like that's to me that that comes from marv yeah you know, like I bring up the example like it was two years ago, uh, Brad Rostretter got the job at Vanguard, which is an NAI school that just started. Yep. And he left Pepperdine in the middle of the season. And Marv's like to David Hunt, like, I'll be your assistant. You know, he's going to be gone. I'll assist you. That's no problem. It's like, cool this like is Marv Dunphy, Hall of Famer, you know, the man at Pepperdine. He's like, sure, I got no problem being your assistant. I'll work basically for you. It's like, I mean, I, there's so many coaches that I can't imagine doing that. You know, it's like where Marv's just like, yeah, no problem. What does um, what does Marv Dunphy mean to you? Oh, everything. I mean, besides my father, the most important man in my life. You know, like, I mean, when he retired, I cried. Do you know, on and off the record, off this podcast, plenty of people said I said this, and and two people said it on the podcast, like a father. Well, yes. you're the oh, you're absolutely. the third person uh, uh, guest who I've who played for I, I've had that played for Marv that used father figure or like a father, and I think that's pretty fucking cool. Well, it's funny. It's like while I was at Pepperdine, uh, I was really close with Marv, and I, but I didn't think that I was closer to Marv than most other players were. But I think I, in hindsight, I was. Like I literally thought that every other player was just as close to Marv as I was. But it's just like I was always in his office. When he drove a van, I always rode shotgun and you know, told him stories and asked him stories and stuff like that. I just always talked. Like, it's funny. Let me find this correspondence with Lee Graham. But like, and it's like I don't, I don't remember all the volleyball stuff that I learned from Marv, but I remember a lot of the life lessons that I learned from Marv. You know, it's like it was just. I mean, I've, I've told the story in another podcast, but hopefully, different people will be listening to this one. Oh, I got a, I got a huge but audience. I remember, uh, we were up in Canada. We were playing a uh, qualifier for, I think it was for the World Cup at that time. Uh, and we're playing Canada. And, and Canada, you know, going into the tournament, stuff like that, they're like, you know, this is our year. We're at home. We got all our guys ready to go. Blah, blah. You know, it's like, and we, we wound up winning in four. We played really well. 
I want to say this is 95, 94, 95. I don't think it was 95. So it wasn't the year of the world championships, but, uh, so we're up in Canada. We're, we're in the locker room afterwards. And I'm just like, I'm just being, a, you know, Marv, where I'm being a knucklehead, you know, like, I was like, oh, those guys talk so much shit. Pardon my French. You know, we have these guys. We own those guys. We always beat those guys. And Marv just stops and looks at me. He's like, hey, blowing out their candle doesn't make it any brighter in here. <laughs> oh, my, I love that. And I was just like, you know, I kind of just sheepishly put my tail between my legs. Like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's like, yeah. why talk bad about them? We should be celebrating our victory, not, you know, talking, speaking ill of them. You know, it's like. I, well, I took a qu- coach from co- uh, a quote from Coach Carter. Sam Jackson played Coach Carter, yeah. um, because like I've coached all kinds of teams. I coached a team, you know, teams that won gold. Like, you know, this program I was with is like the nation's leader in recruitments per capita. And just this last weekend, my indoor team lost every single match, every single set. So, so, so that's a t- so. If you want to know what kind of coach I am, I just, I just like taking assignments where I like to challenge well, myself. Like Carl McGowan had a quote something like that. I hope yeah. every coach has a chance to go one in twenty or something like that. Yeah, like, but uh, uh, from the winning the side thing. though, he said, "Since when is winning not enough?" And yeah. I, oh man, uh, some of my kids who are just, you know, like w- one of my kids ran a 31 front two, like for like a gold, like a few years ago. And he's the shortest guy on the team. He's gotten, he's gotten roofed off the court. Right. And I said, you know what? I want to give this kid something special. We didn't run this play the entire match. Right. Um, 31. Right. Cause I, uh, as I, as we were running the 31 or the three, we noticed yeah. that the middle was moving with him. And, I'm, and we didn't really have a back row attack to make them pay for it. So I said, guys, just run 31 front two. That outside hitter has been passing, then moving outside the pin. Passing, moving outside the pin. Yeah. So this one he passed, and he stayed. He hid behind the, third, the, the middle. And once yeah. the middle made his progression, the, the other middle blocker moved with him, and he had nobody up for match point. And he just, and this little guy, he's like five, six. He jumped so high and he stuck it to him. And he, go, and, he and he's like, yeah. And he shakes hands and he's still jawing away at them. And, and I kind of gave it to him. I said, since winning, since when is winning not enough? You know, I know they've yeah. been messing with you, but you, yeah. if you win and don't say anything, you got to realize you're winning, you're, you're living rent free in their head. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, you're, if, but you say something, you're kind of giving them what they want. And now they got something else to talk about other than the fact that you, you just, you just you just put the finishing touches on this team. So I mean that, that's a Mark quote also like that I love. Like he's always said, uh, "You intimidate with class and ability." Yeah, it's it's the most. Yeah. I mean, it's the most gratifying thing in the world. Like I've coached yeah. NCAA for for a little bit, but the high school kids is where I get like like you said, the juniors and the high school kids is where their bread and butter is. My kids at Hunter High School. If you're from New York, and if you go to a, a school that's predominantly Dominican, whatever, and this and that, and they bring like a basketball or football mentality to a volleyball game. It could be a hostile environment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There, sure. You know, there's there's a lot of um, some things some people would consider unsportsmanlike, but not me. I'm just like, those are fans. They're supposed to boo you. You're the, you know, they're supposed to boo you. You're the, you're the visiting team, you, 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 you freaking uh, wuss. So like, I'm, I'm a wrestling fan. Like, yes. I'm a, I'm a oh my God. <laughs> you too. I would love to be a heel in wrestling. I, I would want to be the person that gets the heat coming out there. You know, it's like, I, mean, yeah, I, want, I love the heels. I love the people that, like get the crowd riled up and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, to me, like, mm. I would always, like in my own family, I'm, when I play cards, like I play cribbage, I'm always the heel. Like yeah. I, 
I always talk to them, stuff like that. I was like, if I win, mm. my line is always, you're only as good as your last game. Yeah. If I lose, I always say, ah, broken clock is right twice a day. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but what, one of my players came up to me, and we're, we're it's, I'm, I'm with Hunter High School. All right. Yeah. Um, it's like this academic school in New York, not Hunter College, but Hunter High School. Le- leads the nation in um, what? Um, cumulative SAT scores and, and Ivy yeah. League application acceptance. So they're a public school, but not really. Um, yeah. So one of my kids come up to me because we're in a hostile environment. He's like, doesn't this even bother you, coach? I said, you know what bothers me? It would bother me if I had to listen to all this and still and lose like I'm, yeah. like there's some things you could put up with you could put with a bad referee you could put up with the refs letting people get away with doubles because they're you know uh, they're not their skill set is whatever and i'm like my heart will will, will break less if <laughs> you know uh, yeah. i could put up with all of this but i can't put up with all of this and they win that would just i, I would ever just make me so mad for sure it's, yeah <laughs> but uh, i was gonna go back to that the mar thing that was being yes. a you know, I, I, I have a couple. I have a couple conversations on here that are pretty interesting because I, you know, sometimes I, I wonder if I remember things correctly. Maybe I'm, you know, we're, we're always the heroes in our own stories. You know, we always think back to ourselves. Oh, I did things mostly right. Blah blah. blah. You know, it's like, but I was talking to my kids about like how they need to play harder. But I, I, I felt weird. Like I tell them, you have to practice harder. Like, why aren't you going for balls or whatever? Like. And I was like, well, maybe I'm not remembering things correctly, you know. So I, I reached out to Louis Grand, who was my roommate my freshman year, been a friend of mine for years, obviously. And I wrote him a special. I said, Lee, I have a few questions I wanted to ask you. And I want you to be totally honest with me. Since I've been coaching, I've had to deal with a lot of kids and attitudes and whatnot. I sometimes tell stories and whatnot about the glory days. But sometimes I think maybe I remember it wrong or I see my past through rose-colored glasses. So I wanted to ask you, since you were with me all four years there, first in hindsight, I realized that I was probably much closer to Marv than most. But the, at the time, I just thought everyone had the same kind of relationship with him that I did. Did you guys think I was an ass kisser? That's my first question. Did you guys think I was an ass kisser? Okay, assinator. Two, I thought I almost always practiced hard and played hard and asked a lot out of myself. I always tried to shag and help in any way I could. Did I ever act like I didn't have to do some things just because I was pretty good? I can't tell you how many times I have to tell my guys and girls to practice harder. I don't remember Marv ever saying anything close to that with us. Yes, I don't. I just don't want to lie to my guys about me working really hard. Anything else you want to add? Feel free. You won't hurt my feelings. Hope all is well and good, my friend. And Lee responds. He's like, "No ass kissing at all." It was obvious you and Marv had a special bond. As he built the whole team around you, gave you a full ride, and knew you were knew you were a stick, and it worked out. You hustled as hard as anyone on the team. Sorry. You take your time. This is this is important, my man. I am a crier, so I'm I'm with you, my man. I I'm totally with you. You hustled hard on your team. You're the best player, so you led by example. We all had our strengths and weaknesses, but the effort our team put in was contagious. You were a special offensive player. I've seen a great a lot of great high level hitters, and you were up up there, clutch too. Kids these days seem not to hustle as much, and I'm not sure why. But all I tell my young boys is effort and attitude go a long way. That's Marv. It was a pleasure playing volley with you. 
and you set the standard of my eyes of success. God bless. God bless. What a what an amazing um, high praise from and, and and a compliment from someone that means so much to yeah. you. And and I feel like he has done his job if he can write something like that back to you that you know comes from a very very honest um and truthful place and out of that whole thing that you just read the one thing i got the 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 one thing i got the least from the least from it was your actual uh rock star performance isn't that amazing like you you being the best player on the team or the best offensive certainly the best offensive player on that team the one thing that 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 i got the least from that was how great you were uh, were as a player i'm 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 about to fucking cry right now because just the respect um that he has for you for for being dignified for being a team player for putting so much into it for having this emotional investment that goes beyond volleyball yeah um if you didn't have feelings over that i would think something's fucking wrong with you so so this is this is um thank you i'm i'm honored i'm I'm honored and privileged that you you have a chance to to share that with me because on i feel like it's the best thing that ever happened to me that didn't happen to me (laughs) It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's weird. There's also me. another story that I tell too. Is uh, I, have, I have another really good back and forth with a friend of mine too, the, uh, George Romaine. Because I talked to kids that would come into school and then they wouldn't be starting right away and stuff like that. And I'd be like, well, first of all, the story I tell about this also is like, I remember when I first joined the national team in 93 and I, I wasn't starting right away and I felt like I should, you know, it's like, I called up Marv and I'm talking to him like I should be starting and Marv kind of listened to me bitch for a little while <laughs> and finally like halfway middle of the sentence Marv's like hey you got to be so good that they can't afford not to play you and that was the last time we ever had that conversation you know it's like it? what else yeah I mean it's the ultimate truth I, I've said that to line to kids over and over again you have to be so good that we can't afford not to play you yeah yeah, that no is... coaches want to lose. No coaches are out there like, you know, we would probably win if Jason was on the court. But, you know, we're not going to start Jason. Like, let him just sit on the bench for a while. You know, it's like, yeah, no one does that. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, kids crying on the bench. I talk to him all the time. I was like, I started pretty much my entire life from high school to college to the U.S. team. And then in my last two or three years, George Romain joins the team. George is 6'7", 240, 50 pounds, built like a pro wrestler <laughs> who explosive and just all Beef, dynamic beefy would be the word. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I mean, he got drug tested every tournament for a reason, you know, Jeez, like, cause he's just yeah. huge naturally. I mean, he's that big since he was 16 years old, 15 years old. It didn't seem possible for someone that big to have his kind but, of, so then I go taste. to a point where I'm starting all the time. I'd just been the MVP of the team in 97. And then all of a sudden I'm on the bench. And it's that same thing again where, you know, like maybe I'm misremembering this whole thing, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, I, re- I remember trying to be like his be- his biggest fan, trying to be his biggest supporter, you know, it's like, and I tell kids all the time, it's natural. Like when you're on the bench and someone ahead of you is like all of a sudden getting blocked a couple of times and doing badly, it's natural to have that little bit of a happy feeling like, oh, maybe I'm going to go in, maybe I'm going to go in. That's human. Yeah. It's not wrong. You, you don't express it. You don't say it out loud. But everyone should feel it in their heart a little bit like, oh, this might be my chance. This might be my chance. 
but I really, really tried to be George's biggest fan when I was on the bench. There, well, so another case where that's I, the Pepperdine way. I thought maybe I was misremembering things, you know, like, hmm. so excuse me if I cry again here, but it might happen. Hey, George, finally getting around to picking your brain. I just wanted to ask you a question, but this will get long because I need to put in an explanation as to why I'm asking this question. You know, I'm coaching and we have a pretty good team. We have some people who started last season who aren't this season and some people are getting benched for other people. When they powder wine, I tell them the story of your arrival to the USA team. I basically started my entire career, was team MVP a year or two prior, blah, blah, blah. I already went over some of the things. I tell them that it wasn't easy for me, but I made it my job to be the best teammate and be as supportive as you be a supportive for you and help as much as I could with whatever I saw happening on the court. I feel this is true, but I thought back and I know it's been a long time and thought to myself, maybe I'm just remembering it the way I want to remember it. My question is, was I a good teammate and supportive of you? If not, please be honest. You won't hurt my feelings once again. Just want to be sure I'm not delusional. I'd hate to be lying to my team. Hope all is well, my friend, and thanks again for coming to my induction. Always good to see you. He came to my Hall of Fame induction. In 2015. Yeah. And he, he just rewrote me back. Let's chat about this over the phone. You are an awesome teammate and my idol. You're a legend and a great person. So that made me happy. That is, but, and once again, Tom, like the one thing I got from it, the least, was the two of yours actual performance and ability to do things on the court. This goes beyond that. I think, and honestly, I think what you're talking about helps inspire performance. When when you guys had the support and emotional uh, investment in each other, I believe there's less pressure uh, put on the player to perform. And, and I'm not trying to say no pressure players play the best. I, I think a little pressure is, is necessary. A low pressure is super necessary. But I think the more someone has support like that, like there's, there's a tight game situation, Hey, my guy's got my back. There's no, there's not, not like this. I have to get this killed. I have to get yeah. this killed. And this messes with men ten times more than it does with women, Tom. Yeah. Oh, ten yeah. times, ten times more with yeah. women. This, this, this whole uh, being in the moment and this pressure uh, of having to perform and not letting your, not letting your teammates down because sometimes that enthusiasm works against you. And this, but yeah. in yours case and, and George Romain's case and in Pepperdine, uh, Dane Blanton, all these guys, it's it's worked. I'm very, very happy to report that it's worked for you, you know, and, yeah. and, and I think that's a challenge for us as coaches, right? I think we, that's, it's that's the kind of thing we want to convey. Thing, but there's a certain, when you're, you're hitting, who cares? Stop caring, just swing and trust it. You know, it's like, yeah. like I, I tell him, like, you should always, you should always hit like you're never going to be blocked. Agreed. Yeah. And you should cover like the person's always going to be blocked. You know, it's like, that should be your answer. You swing Especially like you're never going to be blocked. Especially as an like always gonna be blocked. Yeah, yeah like, I mean that is the life of a gangster. <laughs> that is the life. I think that's what helped put Stan through. I, yeah. I mean, well, uh, Clay Stanley. Like, you know, hitting is over time. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you just you hit high, you swing hard, and you just trust the percentages for a five set match. You know, it's like and you swing the same the entire time. The problem is when you start to get, oh, I really really need this kill right now, and then you try to hit straight down to make sure you get the kill, which you're really just mm -hmm. making sure you're getting blocked. You know, it's like. Yeah, can you appreciate? You, know, you all of a sudden go away from trusting the percentages. Mm -hmm. But can you appreciate go, that's what you can you you can and do and will bring to the table as a coach, right? I, I mean, like uh, I remember uh, we we beat Long Beach State to go to the Final Four, right? And I had a pretty good match. Like I had a lot of kills and stuff like that. But then I rewatched it again. 
I also just made a ton of errors where I just hit the antennas, hit you know, hit hit the ball out of bounds and stuff like that. And I didn't challenge the block enough. Mm-hmm. So going into that that final four, I was like, I'm not going to make any hitting errors. I'm going to challenge the block. I'm going to swing high and hard. And I, I'm not going to let I'm not going to let me beat me. I'm going to make sure they beat me. It's like too often right. we Oof. don't make the other team beat us. And that's what good teams do is they make the other team beat them. Yeah. And a coach will put on a game face, but that's that's one of the most yeah. frustrating things for coaches. I'm, I mean, I I can, I mean, I'm an I'm an acting major. My my degree is in theater performance. Yeah. You know, like I said, I was at yeah. Hunter for a cup of coffee, but I did it right at Marymount. But, but man, coaches really have to put on the game face because beating yourself is like one of those things yeah. where like, do I call a timeout and say let's not beat ourselves? <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's be like the most rewarding <clears> thing. Like in that final match against Stanford, I had 31 kills and three errors, and I hit 600. You know, it was like. Because I, you know, I, I hit one ball out of bounds. I, I think that ball was in, though. I, I've seen the video, and I think that ball was in. Yeah, but even those, those numbers are big for even a middle. I mean, you know, yeah. you, I mean, yeah. middles don't even hit like that. That's crazy. Yeah, unless you played middle that game. Probably the second best match of my life was in the in the finals. My best match was beating UCLA in four in my senior year. Right. But the right, finals like against Stanford and, yeah. was that one of your favorite matches you were talking about? Your final, the finals against Stanford. Yeah. 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 That was three. Unfortunately, like, C- like that's back when CBS showed it. And it, it was in a one-hour thing, and they just diced it up. Oh, and in that thing, I think they showed like two or three of my kills, mm-hmm. and they showed all three of my errors. But you know what? Like volleyball fans watch every single inch of that hour. They they tried it. Yeah. They were like, let's just speculate what the hell happened before yeah. this and after that. And I'm so glad I had a chance to watch that. And I'm, I mean, yeah. we look, we can get into this whole cancel culture um, uh, as far as like TV and this and that. Uh, um, and I don't want to jump off too much, but I, I this is funny. You have to appreciate this. When we grew up, we had TV channels growing up that had, I had an antenna, okay, for rabbit oh, yeah. ears. Had to hold it. My mom's making me hold this 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 hanger so they could watch yep. TV. Now, we had channel 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13. And this is, this is what gets, mad, gets me mad at some of these kids. If I didn't like something I was watching, I turned the channel. I only had six other choices, all right? And now yep. today, you have like, 900 choices and there are people that want to cancel shows that they don't like when you have you are so disgusted with this show you're gonna watch next week and talk about why why i don't understand is it i don't know is it over uh, um oversaturation syndrome or something what the hell is that (laughs) it is it is cancel culture is you know it's but they have if I other don't like it, it shouldn't be on the air, you know. It's like they have other options. Right? Yeah. You, have, you know, but back but back in our day, we only had six options and oh, yeah. we just and all we did was turn. We turned the dial. I, mean, I remember by, the channel. like in the middle of the day in the summertime, I couldn't watch TV because my mom was recording her soap operas. Mm. So like was, I had to watch either I had to watch her soap operas or watch yeah. nothing at all, you know. It was like so then I'd, I would obviously go outside and play or something. But I mean, I remember watching the Olympics back then, it was it was only on NBC. And men's volleyball would on. I would literally sit there with my hand on the pause button. Yes. Men's volleyball would come on and I'd unpause it and start recording again. You know, it's like. Oh, it got me so I mad. I gave, I gave Bob Stavert like, like all my old videotapes because I had, he'd be like, oh, I've never really seen them. Like, oh, I got them all on tape. My mom sent them to me. I gave Bob yeah. the videotapes. Like, I took whatever I had and I put it on DVD. Yeah. I took everything I had from the 88. Um, was when I started, because I was inspired watching the best yeah. men's team ever assembled, um, that 88 team. Um, and. 
I took anything I had on VHS and I converted it to DVD, and there, it's somewhere yeah. in the closet. And I'll probably put it on MP4. This way, it'll this way it'll, it'll last whatever. But go ahead. I mean, okay, in '88, you're a huge volleyball fan, right? As of '88, yeah. Yeah. So 1980, I was, I was junior in high or senior in high school in '88. I graduated in '89, but my yeah. senior year was '88 to '89. Yep, whatever. yep. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I imagine that time being a huge, huge volleyball nerd like we were, being recruited, and you just watched the gold medal match. And then a week later, Marv Dunphy calls you to recruit you to go to Pepperdine. You must have went ape shit. What? I mean, my mom's on the phone. I was like, it's Marv Dunphy. Yeah. Oh, like he is. I was like, yeah. I, mean, I still get nervous when I, when I see Marv's calling me. I'm still like, holy cow, Marv's calling me. You know, like, yeah. do you? Hey, Marv, how are you? You get starstruck. Yeah, you, for sure. It's like, it was, do you know? He's still my idol. All right. Like, here's who. Here's who I get starstruck. Or I got. I got starstruck when I saw him. Jeff Stork. All right. Oh, when best guy. I'm a late bloomer. I started when I was 17 years old, but I was an elite athlete. I played tight end football. Um, I'm six yeah. one, but my wingspan is six eight. All right. So I got yeah. I got these long ass arms. And once I decided I wanted to do volleyball, three years later I was playing professionally in Germany. Three years, yeah. which is it doesn't even happen. Yeah. And when I went to Barcelona to watch the Olympics, the Netherlands, there was a coach in the Netherlands, Mario Trebich. Right. Um, he yep. also coached the Soviets. Also um, a referee in a lot too. Oh yeah, he's awesome. And some, let me tell you some. Some of these kids are like, "Oh my God, this ref doesn't know what he's doing." I'm like, "You better watch your mouth. He yeah. might be blind, but he's." Yeah. You can imagine how many times the rules change in 50 fucking years. Yeah. All right. So, but um, this guy told me, dude. He says you're six one. You're left handed. Your wingspan six eight. You should set. Because my 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 in Germany, I was cutting my teeth as an outside, as a lefty yeah. outside hitter, which you can hit all day. And what I, I, I did I, for two, on, please, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sidebar, please. I hate the fact that people always make all lefties either right sides or centers. Like Stupid. you can be a lefty and play outside hitter. Absolutely, it's no easier on your shoulder. Left side and be a lefty hitter. Like I, I didn't have problems with my shoulder until I became an oppo. It was like you can pa you can pass and hit left side as a lefty. Like there's no reason you cannot. It's so like there's no lefty outside here. Now it drives me crazy. It's you well, can be a middle. We Sean have a, was a middle blocker, left-handed. Like well, there's don't a fan question. Lefties as being these two positions and two positions only. It drives me nuts. But there, th listen, there's a fan question about lefties. I want to ask you in a minute. Okay. But I want to finish the story. I watched two videos of Jeff Stork for two years. I went back, you know, I went back to Germany at the time I was with the military at the same yeah. time I was playing volleyball, the United States military. And, um, and I played for their military team too. Yeah. And, um, I watched videos of these guys for two years. So fast forward 2018, I'm playing, I'm, I'm assisting John, you know, operational stuff at LMU and the head coach of, um, Cal Northridge is Jeff Stork. And I see him and I go, Jeff Stork. And he, he just goes. <laughs> like, like, oh man, like, I hope it's not like a crazy fan. I just look like, yeah. I hope it's not a crazy fan. But he was Sorensen accommodating. He was John Mayer accommodating. And that day oh, I, got yeah. to, I got to take, Marv, Marv Dunphy was actually watching the, some of the games too. And I got a picture with him, Marv, and John. Just like, yeah. the, just like three generations. All three of them, very much like-minded personalities like yours. And, and yeah. but uh, only because I watched videos of this guy because that's who I was trying to, the style I was trying to mimic. Our playing style was the same. Our athleticism was the same. He's taller yeah. than me, of course, but my arms, I was 6'8", kind of, you yeah. know, 6'8", wingspan kind of offset that. And 
I'm from Brooklyn. New, New Yorkers, yeah. we don't get starstruck. Jay-Z's walking his, you know, his yeah. little whatever. Madonna's in the park, Sting. We, you know, hey, what's good, Sting? We don't care. But when I saw Jeff Stork, <laughs> I couldn't believe that I'm a grown-ass man. And I, and, and, I, and I was like, lost my mind seeing Jeff. Oh, Jeff, Jeff is a great guy. <laughs> it's weird for me to say that Jeff Stork is my friend. You know, he's still, like, to me, he's still the, the guy on TV winning gold medals and yep. stuff like that. Great guy. He's one of the few guys that I've played with who could coach me. And I was like, no, you're usually like, Hey, you're, you're my teammate. Stop coaching me. Yeah. You know, it's like, he would like coach me and I'd be like, Oh, that makes sense. That's, That's good. what you know, setters like, do though. Very, Jesus. very helpful. Yeah. And he's That's so just... astute at everything. It's like, Some of the best coaches are setters though. I mean, like yeah. I, I've been oh, coaching. Sure. I, I, I wouldn't it's have... like catchers in baseball. Coaches are always managers in baseball are always former yeah. catchers. It seems like, you know, yep. like, yeah. Like I wouldn't have been coaching. I wouldn't have coached college, high school and, and some pros if I didn't set. If I was an outside hitter, I, I would just, I would go out the same way every other outside hitter goes with a with a cane funny, with like, a cane at fifty. Being starstruck, I, st I, st I still get excited when I run into the guys who were like in volleyball monthly back in the day. Yeah, so I ran into Brent Frohoff at a at a tournament. These like, kids were playing. Yeah, and I was just chatting with him for a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, Brent. I remember you know you and Scott Hackett. We were the first two guys to really jump serve on both sides of the court, whether the wind was good or bad. You know, I was like. Yeah. He's like, I was like, yeah, I was a volleyball nerd. What can I say? That you was know? me like, from ninety to ninety five. Jason Olive, yeah. you know, had a pretty good senior year at, at U of yeah. H. Um, yeah. East Coast love here, Ivan Contreros. Remember that guy from Penn yeah. State? Yeah. That was um, one of the first guys you saw hit the back real quick. And this is yeah. I, I, when it, before it was an actual thing. So, yeah. um, so I have a fan remote, question. Remote, yeah. I have a fan question, and it was actually on uh, volleyball coaches and trainers as well. Your thoughts on putting a lefty. In, uh, in the middle as a middle blocker i mean i think you just got to be creative when you do it you know like run that one foot slide you mm -hmm. know run a lot obviously run a lot of back ones you know like, but they're a good blocker i mean you know you know how the game is these days like hitting in the middle is almost second or not it is pretty much secondary these days so it's all about your pins you want to get a couple things but yeah yep i mean i think well, like i was i was perfectly adequate to hit back ones so why can't i let you hit front ones it's the same thing. That's and I think that's the point I was trying to make. I don't think lefties are properly trained to swing over their head. Like if yeah. you if you if you drop your right and swing with your left, how yeah. how is that any different than a righty dropping his left and swinging over his head here? Like when I played outside hitter, I would play some tournaments where no one even knew I was a lefty until later. It's it's just because like, I, I wasn't swinging here. Look, I wasn't swinging here, which is like shoulder shoulder problems. Yeah. I was here. I was here all the time. So, sorry. This is, I mean, you just need a lot of reps with it. I mean, obviously the setter needs to work hard with you and stuff like that. But if, if the guy's a good blocker and can put, put balls away, like, why not? But here's the one thing that I've noticed a lot lately. This is something that just kind of caught my eye. And now I'm seeing all the time with right sides, right-handed right sides, mm -hmm. young kids. I always see them, like, trying to face the court almost. They're squared up where they're facing, then they're trying to hit kind of this way. That's how you get your ass blocked. Explain, like, you want to get almost where your back is to the center, you know, here. You want to get here mm -hmm. and then rotate your shoulder. But they're always, like, trying to stay squared. The it's, it's weird. It's hard to show without a net. But, like, yeah. you know, the net's here. They're, they're always trying to be open to the court where you want to close yourself to the court. You know, the center should almost be seeing your back. If he's looking at you, he should almost see your back. Mm -hmm. No, not almost. He should see your back. And then you come up and then you come either line or you rotate your shoulders at cross court. 
Well, the footwork's important uh, on that too, right? Like no yeah, one's gonna yeah. no one's gonna pivot step in opposite uh, uh, yeah. like a, a five, right? I mean, if because if you're doing it your way and you pivot pivot whatever, you're severely limiting your range. Uh, just yeah, and line power. and line yeah, and inseam no and this yeah. and that. Yeah, and then and anyone blocking one on one is gonna be able to deflect your cross court without inside help. Yeah. So totally, totally get what you're saying, man. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I, I mean. Yeah, that's how you get that's that's how you get your behind blocked. <laughs> yeah, and you get dug all the time because you're not hitting with any kind of power whatsoever. Like, how do you avoid drama on the court? That's another. <laughs> I'm just reading some of these questions. How do you avoid drama on the court? I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? Uh, do we even answer that? Uh, it's weird. Like for me, there's so many things that I just never paid attention to. Like I, there always be times where like. Oh, so and so hate each other. But I was like, really? He's like, what? You don't notice? Like, no. no. I, I never really paid attention to that stuff. Like, I never no. found myself getting involved in those things. I just never cared. I mean, I, I cared about the people, but I never. It's something that you got to know sooner than later, man. Because if there's ever like a fight in the locker room that breaks out, it's like the, the head coach has to fall on that sword. Yeah. <laughs> you I mean, know. But you don't recruit people like that. I mean, if it's college, you're not going to recruit someone like that in the first place. You know, no one's who's that talented that you, 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 you um, that you're like, all right, I could put up with this because they're 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 that good. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's the question too, right? So. Well, it's, like, it's funny. We always had a discussion like the coach I worked with, Melissa Blessington in Ottawa. She was like the head. I was her assistant, but it's like she always talked about like there are certain players that worked really hard, but they still weren't as good as the players that maybe didn't work as hard in practice and those people would come in and complain and she would, she would, she would kind of phrase it like this. She would say, okay, so in school you're studying constantly, you're studying, you're studying, you're studying, you're studying. This one person's not studying. The test comes, you get a C and she gets an A. Does that mean that you should get the A and she should get the C even though she did better on the test? Like, no, no it doesn't mean that at all. Like, no. this is how it is in real life. Like you working hard is going to pay off for you long-term in life. But right now, that player's better than you, even though you're working harder than her. It's like, yeah. Uh, look, if everyone's starting point is the same, true meritocracy comes into play. If someone's starting block is has to be further behind uh, that yeah. person because this person knows somebody, that's also a real thing too. But that doesn't mean you work less hard. And I'm t I yeah. totally agree with you on that. You know, but when the you get to a high, the highest level, mm -hmm. the higher levels, mm -hmm. it seems to be weird. And that's being, I'm being. You're being nice. Facetious. I mean, facetious. Mm -hmm. That the person that works the hardest, that does all the things you ask them to do, is the best player. Yeah. Like Daniel Jacobs was our All-American and 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 uh, at Ottawa, uh, killed led the NAI in kills like for three years, just about six one, but just everything is explosive. I mean, his arms, his legs. I mean, had the best body control. Yeah. Really, really great kid. We got him from Pierce, like our first year. Like he was literally like. He was that kid that said he was coming, and it was like, oh, Daniel's coming. And we were like dancing and stuff like that. He's good. We got him. We got him. Like, I went to we uh, we started in January to recruit for the final for the following year. Right. Which is not a lot. Most people get the whole year. We had like five months to get hopefully twelve guys. We got wound up getting eleven, which is pretty good. That's dude. How? Oh god. Because at that time, like almost yeah. all the seniors are almost all committed and stuff like that. It's like, I don't know how we did it. It was a miracle, but. Yeah, I I did one of but those. I went, but I went to Pierce, mm -hmm. and I, I knew uh, you know Lance was coaching there at that time. Yeah, 
Was there a Bill, and, uh, Bill Fears there as well? Bill, William Fears or something like that? Cole, Cole I Fears, I had him on the podcast last week and he said his father uh, played at Pierce. So okay, I, just, maybe, I was but, just trying to do a timeline, but go ahead. Yeah. But we went there and I was literally like, talking to all these guys. Like, you know, we had scholarship money, blah, blah, blah. And like, and like oh, that's Daniel. He's, he's ineligible this year, but he's our best player. So literally I, I talked to every guy and most guys were like, eh, Kansas, blah, blah, blah. Eh, not really. The last person I talked to was, oh, I might as well ask Daniel if he's interested. I was like, there's no harm in trying. Yeah, if, if no is the worst that you can get out of it, yeah. And he was like <laughs> legit interested. I'm like, holy crap, he, he actually sounds interested. Like he might want to come. And I'm like, we wound up getting him like, you know, two months later. And it was like, you know, and after we got him, it was a lot easier to recruit other people to be like, hey, we got this stud here. Come play with him. You know, and then we, the following year, we were top five team in the country and, made it to the finals, so it's, oh, you know, it's a wild ride. Oh, I'm always interested to talk to co- coaches who are starting new programs because it's, oh, it's such a weird thing. It's such a – like, we understand each other because, like, starting a program is a – Yeah. Interesting. Oh. I, mean, I was – It's like five months. Like, you are just wanting someone with a pulse – no doubt. Oh, I've never played volleyball for. Hey, I'll give you a scholarship. Look, I don't care. Come play look, for I, was, I was with a lady named Chi, Chi DiMaggio, Katresha. Um, we were building a program without a club from scratch in Brooklyn, yeah. New York City. Yeah, tech, we didn't have a club either. New York City Technical either. College. Yeah. And you, you got 11 people. Let me tell you how we did it. We got somebody registered for classes 15 minutes before the first match. Our sixth, our sixth person registered for classes. Um, he ended up being awesome. His name is Eugene Escoboza. He played for uh, Balmeso, who won nationals in 2004-2005. Where a kid's brother turned out to be a good player, and he actually came after the school year started, but we were able to register him like, Within like two weeks after the school year, we got him in. He was playing for us like you know three weeks later. Like yeah, not no joke. Like we were told in the beginning that uh, by a coach who started a program was like, you know, because you're a new program and and the and volleyball is not a a the the, the highest level sport. Or whatever. It's like you just got to get the kids in school. They don't have to be eligible. They don't have to have a certain GPA. We're like, oh cool, we just got to get them in. All right, great. We found out the day before our first match. That like four of our guys were ineligible. No, oh, good lord! So we played our first match with a lineup we'd never practiced with once. <laughs> that Not first set, that first set is always fun, isn't it? <laughs> we wound up we wound up losing in five, but I mean, me and the other coach are just on the, like our libero who'd never played volleyball before. Men, he just kind of came in. He blew out his hamstring, like literally, like black and blue hamstring tear. So our middles were playing back row and stuff like that. And our middles were not good defensive players. We wound up losing wow. in five. And me and the coach were just, we're laughing on the bench. Like, I can't believe this is happening right now. This is the craziest thing Did ever. you lose the first set, though? It went to five sets. Did you guys lose the first set? I can't remember if we lost okay. the first set or not. Like, <laughs> I, remember, I remember the kid, like, pulling his hamstring. He's, like, on the ground. He's not, like, screaming or yelling. He's just kind of like, yeah, yeah. I'm done. Come get me. Like, yeah. Yeah, this is, I'm done. He's, like, he's just so calm about it. He's, like, yeah, yeah. I'm done. Like, we had, a, dude. We had a guy. Our our middle twist his ankle, and we only had six. Um, our our possible seventh was in class. He had night class. It was the only night yeah. he had. He had to go to. He had to. You know what I mean, 
It was a class he had to take for his major. So we had this kid literally limp on and off the court. Like be, when the when the um we we pushed him rotation wise to one of the sidelines or the back line, yeah. and when the ball was served, he would hobble his ass off the court, and we would play five against six. We were playing Brooklyn College, and, and it was a team we knew we could beat. We didn't want to particularly lose it as team, and it was a yeah. it was a it was a, a much needed win. And it was the third set. We're already up two zero, and we're like, I'm like, can you stand? And he's like, yes. And he's like, but I can't play. I'm like, that's not what that's not what I fucking asked you, man. Yeah. Can you stand? He's like, yes. And the whole time he has this big pout on his face. Like the play, right? The ball served. He limps off the court with with this pout on his face on yeah. serve receive. He's limping off the court. And and it's so weird. I, I, at one point, I think one of the guys was aiming for him off the court to hope to hit him to get a side out. It was the most embarrassing thing for him. But I'm like, dude, look, you're gonna look back at this retrospectively and take that, take that freaking dub, take that W, my man. What do you, what are you? Whenever you have about? injuries and stuff like that, I always, <laughs> one thing I always tell my guys is like, nobody cares. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nobody cares. Like, no one's gonna leave here. Oh, we beat them, but they didn't have you know Jason or so and so. No, they're gonna say, hey, we beat Jason, we beat mm-hmm. that team. Like, nobody mm-hmm. cares about our injuries. No one cares no. about our excuses. No. Can you do oh, it no. or not? Can you do the job <laughs> or not? We lost a match in St. Louis this year where our, our setter sprained his ankle. Our setter's a really good player. Mm-hmm. And we wound up losing in three. He's like, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. We would have won. Uh, nobody cares. Yeah. We I, lost. They won. They're, they're not going to say we won because they, they sprained his ankle. Like, no, we beat them. And that's, that's such an, but isn't that such an important thing as a club coach to tell your team, uh, like you could have a great team or you could have a really crappy team, okay? Yeah. But that that message, like at the end of the day, you're just here. We're just here to develop you into a great player, and, yeah. and whoever wants you, either you can do the job or not. Because I tell all of these kids that are playing club, once you get into college, by the time your sophomore year comes, you will realize that nobody cares what club you played in. Okay, yeah. nobody, some international player doesn't care if you're the smartest retard in special ed. And I, I think I said yeah. that wrong, so I apologize to whatever. Um, um, yeah, and, and, and other communities where they don't recognize the club's name, they don't, yeah. even if they do, uh, well, the only thing that matters is right here, right now. Can, are, can you win this match or not? No, I mean, there is no, yeah. no, there is no junior's pedigree that translates to the adult game that makes them that that gives you some kind of psychological advantage nobody no credibility nobody cares nobody gives an f so yeah well it's also just i went down to houston like a week and a half last weekend cool was that eric anderson yeah, with Eric Anderson. Like, oh, and he had some kids there. And this Indian kid's name is Sean. It's like, uh-huh. he was blocking stuff like that. And he was literally starting at the net like this, with his hands raised like this. And he was just kind of, and he's like six, seven and athletic. So I took him aside and I'm trying to teach him how to swing block, like the footwork of swing blocking and stuff like that. He's like, and it's just, there's four teams that come to the clinic and then they play afterwards and stuff. It's not a, a qualifier or anything, you know, it's not important. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm teaching him this stuff. And he's like, yeah, but I just don't want to net. You know, like, I'm like, who cares? <laughs> who cares if you net like right now learn to do it explosively and athletically you'll figure out the netting thing eventually like you're going you're you're six seven and you're an athlete but you're a terrible blocker because you have awful technique and, like and, and, th- no one jumps like this you can't jump high with your arm I mean, he'd literally be his arms standing at the net with his arms straight and he moved like this the entire time like mm-hmm. and you're like well i don't i don't want to net like who cares if you net right now? This is an unimportant tournament that no one's going to remember ever. 
No one's going to remember next week. No, we're setting you up for the long game, right? You're setting them up for the long game, man. You're going to have to learn how to block when it counts. And and, and if if not now, when? (laughs) I agree. One one philosophy that I I espouse, and I don't think I've ever heard any coach ever say this, sometimes in blocking drills, net. If you never net, are you really finding out how far you can get over the net? You should be pushing the envelope constantly to see how far you can reach over the net. And yeah. if you never net, you're not doing that. Yeah. Well, I have the I always have this drill where I have the ball. I hold the ball up on my side yeah. of the net. And some of the kids do, uh, we practice like straight up, like stationary and then and then penetrate. Yeah. And then you do the, the like the one step like the side, step step up and then the then there's yeah. a three step swing swing block. Yeah. So sometimes we have three people do it and I'm like you know, in the beginning, I'm like, stay off my net, but I'm like, no, no, let him. Yeah. No, the 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 thing, the uh, I, I was my, it was a coaching mistake on my part. I'm like, no, yeah. just reach as far as you can, uh, touching the net or not. And I'm like, okay, now that you know, you can do that touching the net. Exactly. Let's see. Find out how far you can go do. without netting. That's what yeah, you should be such doing. Such a great coaching tip. It was something I, I can't believe. As long as I've been coaching, I, I, it's too close to the forest to see the trees on that one. You know. Yeah, we're, um, we're so worried about that. It's a violation, but. You're just you're not you're not pushing the envelope at all. You're Agreed. not trying to like kids are getting old. They're getting stronger. They're jumping higher. Like your kids are if your kid's 16 at a time, by the time he's 18, he's probably taller and jumping higher. So he should be trying to get over more. You know, they should really be pushing the envelope there and seeing how far they can go. Yeah, 100. Uh, percent It's frustrating to me when people are like, oh, like this. It's not it's not electric not electric fence. You know, it's like <laughs> good blockers net sometimes. It happens all the time. Man, I wish the center line was an electric fence. <laughs> I think like in the 80s, it was like so much of coaching was designed to make us feel good. Right. You know, like being coaches on a box and hitting straight into the block and that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. like, that's we're why, not really that's why I don't go to the parties, The, the hitter's timing the block. The block's not really timing the hitter. You know, it's like, or you're playing defense on a block. You're not really reading. If someone's standing on a block and on a box just hitting at you, that's not difficult to read. No. You know, it's like someone's doing a full approach and they're making that big jump. And one of my, the first time I ever coached in Ottawa was uh, the head coach had to do clubs. She coached at Mavs in Kansas City. So I took our girls to an off-season club, a tournament at, uh, I think it was, a, like it was Emporia State, I think, in Kansas. But we went up and we were playing Pittsburgh State. It was like a D2 school. And we were warming up. And we always warm up off of a serve. You know, our libero passes it, our setter sets a normal ball. Yeah. And and they're doing like the coach toss, where the coach is tossing like low twos, low twos, and they're just bouncing everything. Ba bing, ba bing, ba bing. We're like, sets going outside the antenna, hit the top of the tape. It looks terrible. It's like, and I'm just like, oh man, we're going to get the crap kicked out of us here. Look at that team. They're bouncing everything. They're doing everything. We start to play the match. We won two straight because we're doing normal volleyball things that are actually happening in games. Whereas they can't hit low two balls against us the entire time and just bounce the ball because that doesn't work. Yeah, I think. Yeah, honestly, like my first lesson, like, be ugly. Like, I love the train ugly concept. Like, right. be okay with things looking bad. A hundred percent. Because that's where you learn the most. Like, yeah. teams that function in chaos are the teams that function better. Like, doing free ball stuff. There's a there's a time and a place for that, but. <laughs> it's so it weird really like, like that. it's so weird like there are certain players in california that that, that can't even like pepper but when the game starts <laughs> they're actually passing dimes you know what i'm saying you're right they're like you, they are they are physically trained to do in-game stuff the play that i hate the, 
the most in volleyball are down balls. I hate down balls. Yeah. Like people, because when that ball gets in the air, like, and this is going to sound sexist or whatever, but in women's volleyball, that ball goes up in the air. That girl looks so excited to, to line it up and hit that down ball over the net. And it's just preparing our hitters wrong. Yeah. I see so many kids now that when the ball goes in the air, they want to do this when they should be wanting to do this, getting yes. their arms back and jumping. There's that. Like, this is not hitting preparation. Nope. This is hitting preparation, 100%. getting those arms back. And I see coaches that teach down balls where kids are so excited to get to here when you don't get there first. You get to here first, and then you go up. Also, down balls, like, you make so many errors and get so few kills hitting a down ball. It is so I would you bump it high to the back third of the court and make them think about that thing for a long time, give us time to set up. That's when you well, hit down balls your play because it's a rhythm play. It's an easy top spin play. It's easy. Yeah. Well for, me, the op- well, for me, the operative words is give your team time to set up. And I'm I'm yeah. I'm with you. I'd rather just I'd rather just free ball a sky ball and set up and just <laughs> you know set up. Absolutely. So, you know, One, so. you're gonna make less errors. Mm-hmm. And you you did you, as a player, did you get out early enough before the rule change as an active player to the rule change in, in 2001? Uh, to, uh, for the people playing. listening at home, the rule change was um, double hit is now protected as first contact. And then there's let serve rule was legal and then rally. All three the same year. Yeah, I played. And the libero. Day, yeah. And then the introduction yeah. of the libero position. I, I, am, I am in the camp that think they should take out the double hit altogether. Me too. Because yeah. there's no competitive advantage to the double hit. I mean, like, look, for the dig... do it clean because the no, ball goes where you want it to go. Honestly, for a dig, for a dig, I think, to protect your, yourself, I, I I would like to leave the double hit in a little bit. Not not a carry. Don't get me wrong. For, for everybody yeah, for, uh, thinking just catch and throw. Oh, it's hard driven. That's okay, too. Like like the beach or whatever. No, uh, I, I like bump set spike. I like... And at the highest level, and when you look at the highest level... You don't see anyone passing with their hands anyway. You might occasionally see a middle take a short one oh, and then run a back one. Oh, jump serves. You can't pass. No, with hands. and and I think for my kids, and it's so weird because I just told you about this weekend. I lost every single match this weekend, but I I so won my players doing it right, learning how to, yeah. my players learning how to do it right. I got a yeah. bunch of late bloomers, man. I, I mean, Sarah Stratton, who was in the 2000 Olympics, Australia, yeah. her son's on my team. He's like a skateboarder. He's, he's yeah. He just started playing now at 17. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? But my well, point I is- tell, I tell kids, yeah. I tell people all the time, like, you could coach, you know, an 11 or 12 year old team and just get them to serve in and go over on one and you would probably win a lot of matches. But that's, you're not helping them become better volleyball players. Yeah, it's not not how I want to coach. But that's not how yeah. I want to coach. I'm with you on yeah. that one. It's not how I want to coach. Hey, Tom, we got a little bit of time left, so um, I got to ask you fun volleyball questions, and and I guess we're done. Um, best condition partner you played with? Best conditioned. The best uh, um, cardio strength, bell to bell. I remember running the mile, and my best mile was a. Uh, 549, which I'll never forget because I was the, we all had Pepperdine, we all had to get under six minutes, and I was the last guy to get under six minutes. That was my best time, too. I was in the Army. My, yeah, 549. And I, I remember, was my best like, from my part of the story, I remember just at the end, just being like, in my brain, it's like, no pain, no pain, no pain. No, and people are just cheering for like me. Rocky. Like Rocky. I did like 549, but I think Dane Blanton, I think, did it like four and a half minutes or something like that, like something insane. Like, so he's, yeah. Yeah, he was just like, I mean, he's like lapping me and stuff. But just like he would just go. <laughs> well, the army you got to you got to do the two mile run at a certain time. Like, so, yeah. Like Dane was not the greatest indoor volleyball player, 
he was a good indoor well, not the greatest, but one of the most clutch guys. Like when you needed to dig at, you know, game point, match point, they always seemed to come up with that big dig or big kill, you know? Was like, yeah. So who's the most laid back? Well, we talked about Greg Schenkel earlier. You and I talked about Greg Schenkel. He's pretty laid back. Ah, yeah. Lee LeGrand was pretty mellow, dude. Mm-hmm. That's it. Lee was probably pretty mellow, yeah. Who is the most Eric wound- Sato, too. Eric Sato was a chill dude. Who was the most wound tight? <laughs> Without sounding like you're trying to out somebody <laughs> too much. <laughs> We're both too old for bullshit, so you can just tell me. Who who's the most wound tight? I can't really think of that. It's like Pepperdine? There's no one wound tight at Pepperdine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I tell you, like, like Chip McCall wasn't wound tight, but he was one of the toughest guys I was ever around. Okay. Like, both physically and mentally. Like, he was that guy. You didn't want to get into, like, a competition of, like, punching in the arm with Chip or anything like that. Because he was just like. <laughs> I'm going to punch you back. <laughs> he was great. He was a freshman the year we won the national championship. And I just remember. He had such a great calming influence on me because he maybe either trap set me or something like that and I get blocked. And I'd want to like turn and maybe yell at him or something like that or just say, hey, and he would just kind of have this smile on his face like, don't mess with the guy. Oh, who, man, like, yeah, don't mess like, with okay, the guy who goes. sets you your balls. Yeah, <laughs> you like, might not like, get okay, set. <laughs> yeah. well, Chip wasn't going to stop setting me. He knew where his bread was buttered. You know, I was like, yeah. Do you, um, last question, do you agree the, uh, the four ball is the most difficult set <laughs> in, in, in indoor volleyball? The left side? Yeah. The most difficult? I don't think so. Okay. Good. All right. I think that, I, that was a I watched, no. uh, I have our old that Stanford National Championship game on DVD. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was some times where Dave Goss was hitting the A ball, like the back row yeah. set on the left side. Yeah. To me, that's the hardest set to hit. It is. Because it goes against your biomechanics, man. really difficult. And, like, and he did it well, but it's like. I'm like, wow, he's running an A there. Nobody runs A balls. Yeah. Like, do you, super do you think Hillier did it well because he was a goofy foot? He had like a lefty approach. You think that's probably why he hit the A? The dude, Hillier loved the A zone, man. In the Olympics, yeah. he he ran it a bunch of times against the Italians, which surprised the hell that, out of That was a play that people tried for a couple years, but it just never really yeah. showed to be that effective. Like, Bix and Ds are really effective, but for right. some reason that A ball just never... Yeah, you for me, I, in case I, of emergency, you know. But I've asked a lot of former setters and current setters, and they're like the this. Um, and it's so weird because I when they said it, I'm like, I think I freaking agree. Uh, uh, you know, as a former setter myself, I'm like, the one ball's easy. I just hold it up there. The back one, you just you 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 see a peripherals, the middle leave or middle stay. Whoa, yeah. you know, red set, fling it back. Someone like you's gonna intercept it. It's gonna well, it, intercept be, any crappy about, like, set I give you. It's gonna it's gonna be intercepted before it hits the pin. Like I don't know about running the the, the goes the way they're run now. Those tempo yeah. sets. I mean, they they're probably way harder now than they were yeah. when I played. Well, the goes are nice, but the problem is you only have a handful of players who have the wrist integrity. Like, it's moving so fast. Any intelligent blocker, any decent IQ blocker, one hand here, one hand here, you're going to wrist away? No, it's going straight down. You're going to use me? I don't think so. It's going to be off your face. So so you got like guys guys like Jiba, Dante. Uh, um, yeah. this, maybe DeFalco is a pretty good go ball hitter too, as far as Americans are concerned. And everyone sees how dynamic they are, and everyone's running it. But it really only works if you are running a blocker system where all three are swing blocking, like BYU yeah. back in uh, when um, yeah. when you're 97. If you watch 99, you watch BYU. Uh, the Probably go ball is, is a very good combatant against that because it leaves yeah. a lot of inseam and line and this and that. But but um, you got to have good wrist integrity because any decent 
single blocker, not even without the without middle help, could could probably touch it up, you know. But well, there, I would say like mm-hmm. running a go is a lot like running a thirty-one now. Like yeah, when I tell my when I coach my thirty-one hitters, I always tell them you should always be prepared, to be ready to hit the five. Mm-hmm. Is what you should when you go up. That should yeah. be your preparation because. But you got more you wiggle room out in front of here. You can't let the ball get to here and then try to hit the ball back that way. But you can't. But at least a thirty-one, you could cut back without hitting it wide, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? You got some room to work with. Because it's if, easy to let the ball keep going mm-hmm. and then hit the, to one. Yep. But you can't change the mind. I was gonna hit the one, then go to five. I agree. So prepare to five, and then you can change your mind to one. But you can't do the vice versa. <laughs> you can't prepare to My one man. and change your mind to go to five. <laughs> so when you go up, you should be preparing it to five always. Yes. Then everybody here, because everybody listening to this man right now. <laughs> This is Tom Sorensen. Tom, before we get out of here, because um, we got to bounce in a little bit, um, is there a particular site um, people want to know more about Tom? See what you've been, you know, us old school guys. See what you've been up to. Or uh, 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 some new, the new school guys want to uh, see what you were about. Is there? Do you have your site or something? Or um... no, I got nothing. Just my Facebook page. Is all. I'm not on cool. much on social media. So do you have an uh, Insta? Do you have an Insta handle? I do, too? but I only put one thing on it in my life. So it's like, okay. You'd be, <laughs> surpri- you'd be surprised who's following you, right? You're, yeah. He's like, let me check Insta. I haven't done it in a year. Yeah. All of a sudden, you have like 115 likes from something, like or whatever. All right, cool. So, all right. So, um, Tom, this has been, dude, this has been a quite the ride of a podcast. I really, there were some things I expected, and there's some things I, um, again, were a pleasant surprise. It is, it is my honor my duty and my privilege to say thank you for coming on to the show i appreciate you let me talk about myself yeah hell that's what it's all about man right that's what podcasts are all about Feels so they, good to be remembered you know like, yeah hell yeah hell yeah so listen guys tom might love you guys but i can't stand you in fact i'm out of here all right so for all of you at home for all of you on your ipads for all of you on your droid for all of you on your desktop who runs the world we do. Old school, old school. For Tom Sorensen, this is episode 89. I'm Jason DeBiss. This is the Option Podcast. I'm going to hit my music. Stay with me. And we're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optionvb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.